Welcome to Illumin America, a podcast created by the U.S. Baha'i Office of Public Affairs. Welcome, everyone, to the sixth episode of our show. I'm James Samimi Farr, and if you haven't tuned in before, Illumin America explores constructive approaches to some of our nation's most pressing social issues. Today, we're continuing our conversation from last episode with Danita Hardin. As a refresher, Danita Hardin is a community builder, an educator, and a member of the Baha'i faith living in Northern Virginia. And we'll be rejoining our race discourse officers, May Lample and PJ Andrews, as we talk with Danita about her experiences with the community building processes of the Baha'i faith and how they have been counteracting oppression in her community. Let's go to Danita. There are many patterns actually emerging in our community that I feel are strengthening the community building process. And so one of these patterns that I don't think that we could possibly even have a conversation about this community building process that the Baha'is and their friends are, you know, are taking part in without mentioning this is this pattern of collective prayer. This is something really to me that is revolutionary. It is unique in its very spirit. It's just completely different really than anything that we've ever seen or heard of or experienced. Like anyone, everyone, all people can come into my home and pray together or in the park or over the phone or in this case on Zoom, right? (laughs) And it is just like a completely different thing that we've than we've ever seen before really in the history of religion and the history of you know trying to to build communities and the history of trying to remove oppression is saying like let's let's rid ourselves really of these barriers like we don't have the luxury of allowing these barriers to stand between us anymore so for, for the love of god i don't think the people who are doing uh you know whose intent is that sit around and asking people, you know, ask, waste the time to ask like, okay, wait, stop. What religion, you know, like, what do you read? What do you practice before we go and like, I don't know, steal this car or whatever. I just want to make sure that we're, you know, we're on the same page and, you know, whatever holy book that we're reading, I think they would just go and do it. So I think like the folks that are trying to better the world really need to, to begin to rid themselves of these barriers. And I think that this, this idea of collective worship is one of those patterns that are, that's emerging and in this particular community, and I know, you know, in many communities that I feel is breaking down these barriers. We have initiated devotional gatherings, but also like, you know, the story that I shared about uh, Najee, people in the community are also initiating devotional gatherings, whether they're large or small, whether it's, you know, them just setting aside a time of the week where they're going to sit down and pray with their families, their moms, dads, and siblings, or whether they're reaching out to, to other neighbors and coworkers and classmates, people are feeling like this is something that is important enough to do and to do for, for many people to do it. And I think that it's something that the spirit of it is beginning to to permeate the the neighborhood. You can really start to hear people talk about the community prayers that happen monthly. You can hear the children and the youth talk about even now that we can't gather in person. I get texts, you know, when is our when is our call for prayers (laughs) Uh, and reminding me. So, you know, we actually have one this evening at six. And so this is something that people's hearts are thirsty for. 
that we all really have this desire to commune with our creator, right? And I think the more that we can do this together, but in combination with with having elevated conversations about service and about what the needs of the community are, that's where you begin to see these conversations really having this transformative effect. So if I if I'm sitting down, maybe without the influence of the word of God, right? Maybe my answer to what is the, you know, how can we solve these problems might be a little bit different. But when we're influenced by the word of God and everyone in the space has prayed and, and shared, you know, spiritual nourishment with each other, and then we have these conversations. There's a Baha'i writing that talks about how, you know, when when we pray and when we have joy, our intellect is keener, our, our understanding is brighter, and we're, you know, we're able really to come up with with solutions and, and maybe would have evaded us if we were just trying to come up with it under our, our own energy. And, uh, you know, and many times because of the circumstances of our of our communities, even some of the solutions that we come up with without the influence of the word of God could even actually maybe not have a positive effect. It can actually have the, you know, maybe even the opposite effect because we're, you know, it's, it's difficult for us to, to look past, you know, some of the, the injustices that are taking place in our, in our neighborhoods and our communities. Another pattern that I'm seeing is a pattern of, of training. So this institute process, which is really, you know, as you guys know, uh, just this wonderful tool that we have that I call it the great equalizer because it's just so interesting. I have a friend who who happens to be Christian but has gone through many of the books in the Ruhi Institute. And when we have conversations with each other about building capacity, about serving our community, the language is just now we're able to communicate in such a way that we're able to describe the reality that we want to see. And I really feel like if we're not able to say it, (laughs) then we're not able to really make it materialize, right? It's very difficult. Really, the world that we live in right now, the reason that, that the world is the way it is, this reality was first thought of by someone (laughs) or a group of someone. And then somehow they were able to share, you know, maybe a vision for the way that this world would, that would be run, particularly, you know, like in this country, but they had to have other people be able to understand their vision and agree with the vision, right. In order for this to materialize and in order for us to really be able to build, rebuild, our communities, our families, our, our society, based on spiritual principles, we also have to have a language. And so the, you know, the pattern of, of training that is emerging in these, these communities where many, many children are engaging in, in taking part in the, the children's classes. And for the first time, for many of them, this is, this is really true, that they are hearing themselves described in these ways as generous, as kind, as considerate, as noble beings. The same with the junior youth. So they're, they're, all, they're suddenly seeing themselves as active protagonists, active participants in the transformation of their own communities. These youth who many are viewed by society as someone to, you know, maybe clench your purse when when they walk past you in the street. But all of a sudden, 
they see themselves in this totally different light. They're noble beings. They're individuals who not only are responsible for their own actions, but now they're role models to these younger members of our community because they're becoming animators and mentors for these these junior youth. They're becoming teachers for these children's classes. And they realize that the way that I behave impacts the way that the people who are younger than I am behave. So there's this pattern of training. As this pattern of training accelerates, you can see also the acceleration of just like the movement. I don't I don't know. I, I can't really completely describe it because I don't think it's completely unfolded yet. But you can certainly see how many, many, many people are being impacted by this. And it's the people who are directly involved in this process, but also it's the people who are connected with the people who are involved in this process that we're beginning to see this process impact them. I think that that's another pattern that I'm seeing in the the communities in the neighborhood is that people, they desire a change. They want to see a change and they're not timid, shy, or slow about going out and inviting other people to become a part of this process. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how some of the methods and approaches of the community building process have led to stronger bonds in the community, like bonds of trust and intimacy, maybe mm-hmm. across racial lines or across other lines of difference that we that exist in the community that you live in. That's an interesting question. I think the place where I've really seen the most impact is, I mean, really across the board, but certainly with the youth. There's a young man in our our neighborhood named Jason. And it's a little bit funny because, like I said, it's a primarily African-American with a a population of immigrants. But Jason happens to be white. And we were were sitting in uh, in one of our our youth groups. And we were, this was like maybe just his second time coming to to the youth group. And, you know, first, his first question was, how come everybody doesn't know about about this this right here? Because I feel like this would this would actually change the whole world. And I was like, that's exactly what we're trying. <laughs> this is this is what we're what we want to do, Jason. Like we we want to change the world, but but that process takes time and the process has to has to happen within the communities. Like we're trying to transform, you know, number one, people's hearts individually. And as hearts are transformed, then families will be transformed. And as families are transformed, of course, communities will be transformed. And then of course, you know, societies will be transformed. But then he began to to share a story where he and a friend of his, an African-American friend had gone into a store. And I guess the security guard didn't realize that they were together. And the security guard asked the African-American friend to remove his backpack before he walked all the way into the store. And Jason, who also happened to be wearing a backpack, just walked on by. And so it really disturbed him. Like he was extremely upset about the fact that, you know, he was like, why did they do this to, you know, I'm really, you know, quoting it, like, why did they do that to my mans like that? (laughs) You know, like, why did they, why is it that I was able to walk into the store and not be stopped, but they stopped my mans? The world is messed up for real. And it shouldn't be like that. Like, why does my, my boy have to worry about whether he wears his hood when he's driving in his car, but I don't? Why does he have to worry about this, but I don't have to worry about it? Why aren't all of us worried about 
about this. It was just like we we really stopped and we had just like a, such a wonderful conversation around not only, you know, why is the world like this, but then we prayed so that the, the world could get better. But then not only did we pray, but then we studied. And then after we studied, then we planned. And then after we planned, and then we carried out our plans, then we reflected. And then we came back and we said, okay, so now what do you think we need to do next? And Jason was, you know, after he we came back the second time, he said, you know, I want to learn how to show other people like how to do this, because this is what is going to help us remove these challenges, but keep them removed. But also because we were able to have that conversation, because we were able to share, because we were able to pray together, because we were able to not just pray together, but act together, because we were able to, you know, to study together, reflect, and not just sit there and, you know, buried in our feelings and our frustration. I also saw the friendship and the respect for each other grow. Everyone just like felt so different after that, you know, after that experience. So I just feel like not only are these things happening, like these actions in the neighborhood are taking place, but these friendships are being formed, but it's a different kind of friendship. These aren't friendships that are based on like, hey, bro, like, you know, what football team do you like? Which could change, you know, from, from moment to moment, because I've definitely seen people who were Skins fans and then they like jumped off the bandwagon when the Skins started to lose. But these are friendships that are like so deep and they're so rooted in something that is so much more important to these youth. Another experience I just wanted to share that's just like this very just practical experience that I, you know, witnessed like the the power of these these activities and prayer just literally like many times. Like it's really almost, I don't know, it's like the closest, I, I would say the closest thing, but I'm pretty sure it's not just that it's the closest thing, that it really is miraculous. You know, like this is this miraculous transformation. But to like really be witnessing it really on a daily basis, it's just so like a gift. It's really profound. But this other time that I remember, it's this a junior youth in our group. And this particular junior youth group had like been struggling a little bit with like a little bit serious during prayer time. So like, you know, when it was, we would pray, you know, obviously before we, you know, before the start of the group and like you would hear everyone kind of like giggling and then you would hear like, boom, and like someone is like nudging each other and then like bling and then just like, you know, there's a pillow like flying <laughs> across the across the room and, you know, and, and like I'm trying to keep my eyes closed and pray, but like at the same time, I kind of like have to pray like with one eye, like pried open just to make sure you know, everyone is, is in one piece, like once the prayers are, are over. But this one particular time, one of the members of our group came and he was just like visibly like upset and just out of sorts and just not himself. And, you know, I pulled him to the side and I was just like, you know, what's happening? What's going on? And he shared with me that his family was going to get evicted in the next week. He didn't know where they were going to go. 
his mom who had just come out of the hospital giving birth to twins who didn't have maternity leave. They were just in a fix and he just didn't know what to do. So I asked him, you know, like, can I share this with the group? And I've never seen them get so focused (laughs) and so serious. And all of a sudden, like these junior youths, like these 11, 12, 13, 14 year olds, they became something different, like literally right before my eyes. Like, I mean, they always were the, this, right? But all of a sudden, it just like manifested itself in just the most radiant way. And they all were like, okay, everyone be quiet. We have to pray. We have to pray for him and we have to pray for his family. And not only did they pray, but they were like reassuring him. They were like, don't worry, it's going to work out. These prayers work, right? We know like this is, this is going to work out. And even like helping him to recall some of the junior youth stories that we, we read where people were experiencing challenges and difficulties due to injustices and And like, don't worry, just because your family is experiencing injustice and just because this is happening doesn't mean that, you know, God isn't there with you and we're here with you and we got you, man. We got your back. And I mean, these junior, you started to like pray (laughs) like I had never seen them, you know, like really beseech God for assistance for their, their brother and just really started to call, you know, like, you're my brother, man. We love you. We got you. And I saw this group that before was struggling with their identity as the, as a group become a group that day. They, they really rallied around this individual who had this challenge and they, they really became a group. And, you know, there are many, many examples of this that I've seen. I've seen, you know, families and parents who, you know, before their interaction or their engagement in these activities, who literally lived like right across the hall from each other. And they were like, holy cow, like, how could I have possibly lived here next to you for 10 years? (laughs) And I swear, I didn't know your name. But now, we know each other, we see each other, we speak to each other, we talk to each other about how our kids are doing in the, in the children's class. We talk about the quotes and the prayers together and it feels like a community now. And I've, even, I've heard some of the parents even use that, those words, you know, like sitting there coming to pick their kids up from the children's class and watching the children of the the community and the neighborhood, you know, most of whom are African-American, but some who are from uh, Honduras, some who are also their families are from Sudan, some who, you know, are from West Africa, all sitting there playing together, all sitting there, you know, reciting quotes and prayers together. And these parents, these families, like I said, who really, there was one gathering that we had, we had a devotional gathering. And it was actually so interesting because we had invited many, many, many people. And somehow, I don't know how it happened, that usually we have a load of people come to our community devotional gathering. This particular time, two families came. And the two families that came, it turned out that not only were they from the same country, but they were also from the same neighborhood in the same country. 
and have been living <laughs> like around the corner from each other for years. And they were like, oh my God, <laughs> like even to the point where they were asking each other, like, did you know this school teacher back in, you know, in Dominican Republic? Yes. Oh my God. Like I was in that class and they were like, how could this have happened that we didn't know each other, you know, for so many years and this activity, you know, us coming here for prayer was actually you know, what brought us together. And then from there, they've really formed like this really, really beautiful friendship. So like I said, one of the things that I've really seen is just like these beautiful friendships all around the neighborhood and community forming. And there, there are these friendships that already, like I said, have this spiritual basis and also have this basis of service. Like there's this component of this is, this is what we do. We serve each other. You know, how can we how can we not only be friends, but now like, how can I be of service to you and your family? And it's a reciprocal thing because they just feel like, like that is something like these activities have brought to this community that I think for many years, the people felt like I said, marginalized, like they didn't have a voice. So like maybe they didn't have the right or the ability to speak up. And now they're feeling like it in many, many aspects of their lives. Like there, there was a family that I was speaking to the other day and they were talking about how their neighbor wasn't sure what to do with their child because now, you know, we're trying to figure out how to school our children from home. And one of the neighbors didn't have, have a laptop and was still, you know, just kind of struggling with, with what to do. And so instead of, you know, then just kind of throwing their hands up. This neighbor was like, well, no, I'm going to help you. <laughs> we're going to take care of this. Like, we're going to, we're going to figure out, you know, get, let's, let's get on the, you know, come, I'll bring, come, come, come over here. You know, like, let me show you, show you how to do this. So they're like gloved up and masked, masked up and, and, you know, sitting there like walking this parent through this process of trying to reach out to the teacher and this is these are the steps that you need to take and this is what you need to do and this is how you get onto this link and this is something that is new and it's not something that seems like it's such a huge deal but when you're in a neighborhood like I said where maybe you felt before like your voice wasn't being heard or you felt like when there was something wrong maybe you didn't have the power to to try to try to do something about it and you didn't really feel like anyone else cared enough to do anything about it. But now you feel like, you know what? I don't have to wait <laughs> for someone else to, to care enough. I care enough. And so I'm going to do something and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to fix it. And my neighbor cares enough. So if no one else is going to do it, then maybe the two of us will do it. And if someone sees the two of us doing it, then maybe they'll get up and then they'll start, start doing it too. So people are, are, I'm seeing people not feeling like they have to wait on some other individual or some entity to solve problems, but they can do it. And, you know, like I said, these friendships are being, are being built around this idea of service to each other. Uh, our last question was going to be about what kind of confirmations you've experienced around seeing this process become a reality. And you just gave us a, a whole lot of that <laughs> without even realizing that was our question. Yeah. It makes me think how there's like this connection between language and, and consciousness and vision, but then that those things don't become real until you put them into practice. That's right. That's so the right. Pattern, that, that pattern of action comes into place and it's, and it's there that you start to experience confirmation, but that 
but the enduring transformation is connected to our relationship with the word of God somehow like yeah. that, that it, it opens the, the vision of spiritual perception like you're describing. So then what's happening in this world isn't just what's happening in this world. There's sort of deeper spiritual realities and principles that sustain me every path. And then in the, especially in the face of a social reality that is oppressive towards me. Yeah, that's a really beautiful confirmation to, to sort of, because I think what you were saying before, what's unique or different about the process you're engaged in is that it's enduring. It's transforming people to, to not go back to a previous way that was limiting. I think it's just people need to know that there is hope, right? There is something that I, I really do know, you know, like as an African-American woman, it's very, very difficult because Sometimes you just are like, okay, it needs to change like now. I, I understand that this is a process, but this has been happening for a long time. And it's really, really, really hard to wait on this process. But when you realize that this is a process that is going to free everyone from their oppression, right? So even the oppressors are oppressed. And so if we're only freeing one segment of the population, which I think many of the, the things that have been attempted before, it targets, you know, like let's empower this group and let's empower this group and let's empower that group or let's empower that group or let's disempower this group, you know, take away this and give them, them this. No, that's not what this process does. This process spiritually empowers every member of society simultaneously. This process removes the, the chains of bondage that have been holding us down all at once. But then once the chains are off, what does it look like? There's still you know, many things that are holding us down and holding us back. And I think that this process allows all of us to be able to communicate in a language of justice, a language of freedom, a language of love, a language of transformation, a language that allows us to see the nobility first in ourselves and then in others. Because we really can't be free if I think like I'm noble, but you're not. And I don't care what color you are, you can't be free if you feel that way. <laughs> right? God created me noble, but not you. There has to be justice for me, but not you. And I don't care who you are, whether you're black or whether you're white or whether you're, you know, whatever. If you're a human, <laughs> then you have to desire justice for all. We have to see the nobility in all. And I feel like that is really, you know, part of the beauty of this process, because not only is this happening in this neighborhood in Woodbridge, you know, in Virginia, where it just happens to be primarily African-American, but also my white friends are studying this with their friends and coworkers and neighbors and family members. Also, you know, I have Asian friends who are studying this with their friends and coworkers and, and neighbors. I have friends who have financial wealth who are studying this. I have friends who maybe don't have as much financial wealth who are studying these materials and immersing themselves in the word of God. And all the chains and the veils are being removed from all of these, these members of societies. 
it feels like we could talk to you forever <laughs> and, and, and keep like learning new things and being enriched by your experience about what's happening about what's happening in Woodbridge. We just want to thank you again so much for your time and thank you for sharing. Yeah, of course. Thank you guys.